0: enterprise use cases in open AI, launching your career in consulting, and why you should not be a consultant. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover today in episode number 107 of Transformation Ground Control.
1: This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change.
0: Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control episode number 107. This is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of change. My name is Eric Kimberling, your host today. I'm also the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world with their digital transformation journeys. And with me as always is my co-host, Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being here and thank you to the audience for listening in. Ah, uh, this is perhaps the highest rated podcast um, in the world that is about digital transformation and also named after a David Bowie song. So there you go, fun little fact. Uh, I, I challenge you to <laughs> number yeah. one. I challenge you to find another podcast about digital transformation named after David Bowie song that's more popular than this one. So uh, thank you for making us the number one show in that very, very, very narrow niche uh, that we've created. Um, exciting show for you today. We're going to have uh, a conversation. First of all, we're going to open up the segment with a couple things. One is the Q&A from the audience. Uh, Kyler has her uh, Q&A jar uh, of questions that we've gotten in social media in recent uh, recent days and weeks. So we're going to take some uh, audience questions from social media. And we're also going to talk about enterprise use cases for open AI as well. So if you're if you're into the whole chat GPT phenomena right now, or Jasper, or any of these AI tools that are gaining a lot of traction in the consumer space, we're going to talk more about OpenAI from the context of business and the enterprise. So be sure to stick around for that in this opening segment. And then later in the show, we're going to have a panel discussion with um, Adam Cheatham, Scott Janke, and Nate Stroer, all from the third stage team. We're going to be talking about how to launch a career in consulting. So whether you're a, a new consultant or aspiring consultant or you're in industry, you want to switch to consulting, or if you're already a consultant, you just want to further your career. We're going to talk about uh, some tips and, and best practices for being a successful consultant. And then later in the show, the third segment, we're going to totally shift gears, do a total 180 from that conversation about how to launch a career in consulting and talk about some of the reasons why you should not be a consultant. So we'll, we'll sort of share the the dark side or or share some situations where it may not be a good fit for you. So heavy career focus here today in the the two segments uh, later in the show. But before we get to that, let's talk about uh, some of the Q&A topics you've got for us here, Kyler.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start with the the question jar. Um, So our question jar, for those of you that are new here, um, I pull all questions from Eric's social media, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube. Instagram. um, So you can post them on there and I can ask him live during the show. Um, If you tag me at Kyler Cheatham, um, I will see them immediately. But if not, just drop them in there and I'll put them in our famous question jar. So um, we've got a lot of really great stuff today. So let's start with this one. All right. Um, So this user asked, how can I make management understand the experience needed to lead a transformation? My leadership thinks it can be done by a more junior person, and I have a hard time explaining the experience that is needed to effectively achieve achieve a digital transformation.
0: Good question. And I think uh, that's a common question that I imagine a lot of people listening are either struggling with that challenge right now, or perhaps they have in the past, in their current or past digital transformations. But I think the biggest thing you can do to help educate an executive team to understand what the skills the skills required to be successful as a project manager of a digital transformation would be to really paint a picture of what the change entails. And a lot of times executives are focused on more of the technical aspect of the transformation, thinking that It's just like managing any other project. You just make sure you're on schedule, on track, that sort of thing. And that's sort of the science of project management. But there's the art of it, too, that comes with experience and knowing more qualitatively and um, subjectively how transformations should look. And just to give you an example, when you think about something like organizational change management, it's one thing to say that we're going to have a change plan and we're going to hit all these milestones and either we finished them or we didn't. Yes or no. Did we finish each of these deliverables on time? Uh, That's one thing, the the more important thing is to make sure not just did we do A, B and C, yes or no, but did we do it right? Did we do this the way that reflects our business and is in accordance with best practices for digital transformations in general? And those are things that you're not going to get from a junior PM or someone that doesn't have a lot of experience with uh, digital transformations, which is why a lot of organizations will maybe augment a less experienced project manager that's internal. They'll augment them with someone like us or our team at third stage that can help coach and guide that project manager to give them that more qualitative, deep experience-based knowledge to augment their skill sets, whether it's project management or the knowledge of the business or whatever it may be. And I think that's the key things you need to have. You need to have both and you need to have a pretty wide variety of skills. And that's, that's a big part of, you know, the way I would go about selling it to your executive team.
3: And does that approach work for you when you are um, paired or your contact at an organization might not have as much experience in um, an ERP implementation, any technology change? Do you help them in that situation or do you really require more of a senior technical resource?
0: In the project management role in <laughs> yes. particular, you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't necessarily need to be a super technical person to be successful in, in as a, as a, call it a program manager. I think if you're managing the technical work stream and you're responsible for configuration and testing and data migration and all that stuff related to the software that's being deployed, then yes, you do have to have a deeper technical understanding to lead that work stream. But if you're a project manager, being the project manager of a technology work stream is totally different than being the overall program manager for an entire digital transformation. And the digital, if you kind of view it like a like an umbrella, you've got the overall PMO or the pro- the program management that over, uh, that's overarching the entire uh, transformation with all the work streams, then you'll have like the, the technical work stream or the technical person that's managing the technical work stream, you have the change work stream, the architecture, uh, data migration, you know, all the different pieces that go into a successful transformation, that internal project manager or your overall program manager has to be able to manage all those work streams. The technical work stream, yes, you do want to have more depth in that area, but that's only one part of the work stream. One of the biggest mistakes organizations make is they just look at that technical work stream and think that's it. That's the program. It, it's not. There's all the other stuff that's more important that's actually going to make or break your, your project much more so typically than the, the technology itself.
3: Absolutely. And I'll go ahead and pop um, Eric's roles and responsibilities video that you can find for digital transformation on um, his YouTube channel, that's a an actual map of what that looks like. So you can bring it to your leadership team and say, you know, this is kind of how the experts um, recommend kind of supporting that. So good resource there. All
0: that's right. a great point too. If for, for any of these questions, I mean, you, there's a high probability you're going to be able to find some supplementary or complementary YouTube videos, either on my channel and or the third stage channel that you could take to your team. And a lot of times it's better received when it comes from someone that's outside the organization that's not caught up in internal politics and things like that. So feel free to use our content and plagiarize it and share it with your team as you see fit.
3: That's what it's for. Exactly. <laughs> All right. This question is how are ERP and ECM different?
0: Sorry, say that again. How are ERP and ECM? Oh, enterprise content management. I assume that's your I assume
3: to? so. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, how are Let's they different what- with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, content management typically, uh, well, first of all, some ERP systems can they have enterprise content management capabilities. So it could be that it, for some systems, ECM is a module within ERP, but for a lot of ERP systems, either they don't have an ECM module or they have an ECM module that's pretty weak and isn't as robust as they need. In those cases, it might be that you have you know, your standard ERP system for your back office stuff. And then you've got an ECM standalone system that you bolt on that handles the content management. Um, you know, in a perfect world, you find both within one system, but it is possible that they could be two different systems. So it's a, it comes down to the whole conversation of single enterprise wide ERP versus best of breed. And, you know, the systems that you find, the ERP systems that you find that might have the ECM capabilities you're looking for might not have the capabilities you need in other areas. So for example, if you're a, you're a high volume manufacturer of widgets and, and you're all about efficiency and scale and planning, demand planning, production planning, all that stuff is really important to you. It becomes less and less likely the more specific requirements you have in those areas that you're going to find that as well as ECM, as well as all the other needs you have. So um, there's no one right answer to that, but there is a subtle difference between ERP and ECM with some overlap uh, as well.
3: That makes a lot of sense. And I think that goes, that was actually from one of your best of breed videos, but it, it speaks to the need to un, truly understand your requirements as an organization and that evolution, as you talk about a lot, to more of that technology stack as opposed to just one system. So, if you are an organization that relies a lot on enterprise content management needs, then having that as an application or focusing on a best of breed system is um is definitely something that, that we help you kind of navigate because it can be confusing to understand how you meet the needs of, of all of your different processes.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: Okie doke. <laughs> this is a funny one. I think you'll appreciate this one. <laughs> how can I get vendors to actually show me what I need what my business needs during demos?
0: Uh, that's funny. Uh, it, is, it is pretty funny. And that's a common, if it's any consolation, that is a common challenge. Even we see it at times with our own clients when we have done all the things that we need to do to, to nudge the, the vendor and, and sort of drive them and focus them in a way they need to. But probably the most effective way or ways, I should say, is to not just invite them to come in and give you a demo looking at different modules or process areas in general, but more specifically give them demo scripts and say, this is what we want to see. This is our business. Here's our, how, we're, how our process flows end to end. And that's what we want to see. We want to see your software in the context of our business, almost more of a day in the life versus a sales demo. Not all software vendors or sales reps like that or, or are comfortable with that because they want to sell their value proposition and where they're different. Whereas you're looking at, well, let me see what, how it fits my business. I don't, you know, if it, if it doesn't fit my business, I don't care what bells and whistles you have. And and obviously there is a fine line there too, because you do want to see to some degree, you want to see some capabilities that you might not be aware of and you might not have thought of when you define your demo script. So you do want to give them some leeway to be able to show you some of those differentiating factors and things that they think are make their solution stronger. But you want to pretty tightly box them in, if you will, in terms of giving them a demo script. And that's one of the biggest things that we do is make sure that we provide demo scripts, we review with them in advance, um, answer questions, we give them all the discovery we have as consultants. Um, So we, along with our clients side by side, will sort of prep the vendors in that way. And the more you can prep them and communicate, you're gonna mitigate the risk. You're not gonna reduce it to zero and totally eliminate the risk um, because you're still gonna have people or people, you're gonna have the renegade sales guy or gal that comes in and does what they wanna do. And there's been times where with our clients where Two out of the three demos are fine, they stick to the script, they show their software in the context of their business, but then you get to the third demo and the third one just goes totally off the reservation. And in those cases, there's been times where we've actually, we've actually canceled the demo and said, we've got to regroup, we've got, this isn't going well, we're wasting everyone's time. Let's regroup and reschedule a follow up when we know we can get it right. Or in some cases, we've eliminated that, that software vendor because it could be a sign that they just can't meet a lot of those requirements and are trying to shift the conversation to where they want it to go. So it's there's no uh, perfect answer to it. Uh, there's a lot of art and science to it, but those are some of the things we've seen work.
3: Absolutely. Those are all, all great. All righty. Let's do one more here. This is actually a great segue because this is a question about being a consultant. So this user said, I am an SAP consultant. Do you think it makes sense to continue to specialize in one product or are those days over?
0: Great question, I love that question. Um, I'll give you my answer that I think is completely biased and it is completely biased. So, you know, I'm, I'm coming at it from a third stage consulting centric position and I'll, then I'll give you the other answer. So coming at it from the third stage consulting centric bias position, I would say absolutely when we hire people we look for people that have experience with multiple systems in fact it's hard for us to a lot of times it's hard for us to um integrate someone into our team that only knows one system because they've, they've only seen one part of the world or one type of technology and they don't have that broader understanding especially because so much of the work we do not only spans across multiple technologies because we're technology agnostic and independent the reasons we do that are partly because we, we want people to have breadth of experience a lot of the work we do is digital strategy. So, so much of our beginning early phase work with our clients in a long-term relationship is, is starts with the digital strategy, you know, helping them to find a roadmap, select software, all that stuff. If you only have one type of technology you've worked with, you're going to come at it from a technology first perspective. And our whole value proposition is that we come at it from a business first perspective, client first perspective. Um, So that's sort of the third stage answer. If I'm a, um, if I'm not interested in working at third stage and I'm a consultant that wants to work at a big four consulting firm, um, then the specialization is probably going to be good. That's what they want. They want you to specialize. They want you to go deep into one area because they're such big machines or such big companies and everyone has sort of their specialized role. For me personally, is why I didn't like being at the big four because I didn't like being pinned into a box, you know, kind of a narrow box. Uh, but that's what they value at, at a lot of these big companies. So. Um, I think there's a lot uh, to be said for focus and uh, specialization, but I think that's also a part of the problem with digital transformations and the consulting industry in general is that it's too biased. It's too focused on technology first and not enough on the other stuff, the people, the process, the strategy and all that. So I know that's a very uh, watered down answer, but I'll sort of, I, I share with you the third stage perspective, even though that's a minority of where the opportunity is. The majority of the opportunity is the way that, the machine was built where you want to be specialized and focus on what technology. That's just the way it is. I don't don't like it, but that that's the way the industry is. So from a career perspective, that's probably going to help you if you, especially if you want to go to work for one of those larger consulting firms.
3: Well, definitely great advice there and lots of ways to go. Um, But if you do have questions about just your consulting journey in general or interested in, in joining the Third Stage team, we do have um, our careers page on our website, and you can also email directly, work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Um, lots of great resources there. And of course, um, we'll have our consulting panel coming up after we talk about the hot topic that is open AI. Um, so with that, let's, let's talk a little bit about this, because I'm just so curious, Eric. We haven't really chatted about it, but it's been, you know, on the main stage in the at least US-based media um, and just the overall conversations around ethics and AI. Specifically, they've been focusing on mostly education, although there is many use cases for OpenAI in enterprise um, organizations. So let's let's talk about what it is. First, so OpenAI is basically uh, a company in which it has chat, G-P-T, um, is basic, is the uh, system in which it, it utilizes. So it's an open content format that reads a specific section of the internet and then is able to produce original content. Um, so you can see why this would be a challenge as far as integrity and ethics in AI, specifically in education, because if you are a student at a university, you can utilize these different um, platforms to write... 30-page papers that aren't going to be flagged for plagiarism, but they do have an actual space for optimization and overall efficiencies in in enterprise, which is why they have raised so much capital. So to give you an example of what these these systems can do is they can um, tell you a joke um, as a valley girl. Or they can talk to you in an Australian accent. <laughs> so it is um, a lot of different functionalities, but mostly what they can do on the enterprise use case side is create a lot of efficiencies in communication. So, for example, if you're thinking about it from a change management perspective and you have a massive communication project to go through in your digital transformation, you're able to utilize this system and it will learn from you and what you're writing and be able to continuously pop out different um, access points or answers, call to actions uh, with utilizing the systems, creating a lot of efficiencies and the ability to create a really a solid communication plan um, for your technology implementation. The other thing that it's able to do is dissect any inefficiencies within operations of the the organization. So go in there and kind of mine out any areas in which communication is struggling or that needs some of that efficiencies in overall dialogue um, within the organization. So that's really the, the use case for the enterprise. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the ethical side and then also kind of the use case side of is this something specifically consultants as you talk about in this episode a lot should be familiar with when it comes to enterprise technology
0: well uh it's a good question there's a lot there's a lot going on in that question there um i'd say with the ethics of it um it's funny you mentioned that because i just the other day or actually over the weekend this last weekend i was uh i tried out chat GPT, even though I want to say GDP, like the economic GDP. That's exactly so what off. I
3: get hold up on every single time. GPT,
0: So, so yeah. you know, chat GPT is such a hot topic right now and such a hot um, uh, platform that it, it's hard to get on. I mean, it's actually it's the servers are overloaded and, and I have to go on at night, like late at night. It's really the only time I've had success getting on there late at the night, late night U.S. time, I should say. Um, so. While I was on there, though, I was thinking as I was just I was kind of messing around, just using it as a glorified Google, basically just asking it questions about, you know, what is digital transformation? What is change management? I just wanted to see what it what it would come up with. And it's pretty good what it came up with, I thought. And it did make me think with two kids that are teenagers um, going through school right now, both who, by the way, coincidentally hate writing. Uh, made me think like, it'd be so tempting to go tell them like, Hey, you know, go check out this tool, but I I don't want them to know about it yet necessarily. Although they'll, if they're going to figure it out, they'll figure it out. But um, so it did make me wonder though. So I haven't gone so far as to say, is that ethical or not? Because part of me thinks, well, it's technology providing content and information that you need. I suppose in school, the whole point is, I guess, sort of like using calculators on a math test back in the day. um, You weren't allowed to use them, even though the, the calculator could just do the, do the math for you. So I guess, you you know, we, we as humans still have to learn how to communicate, read and write and all that stuff. So I see the point there that you don't want to, um, you know, there's some ethical issues at the educational level, uh, enterprise level, though, I think what's really interesting about ChatGPT is that we've been talking so long about AI, it feels like, and it's been sort of a pipe dream. But now all of a sudden, there's this consumer grade technology with ChatGPT. And then also Jasper is one that I know we use here at Third Stage or you use at Third Stage um, to help create some of our um, some of our content um, for blogs and whatnot. So there's definite definite uh, enterprise value potential there. And it's with Jasper, you're starting to see at least smaller businesses use it. Um, so I'll be curious to see if that sort of beachhead consumer and small business focus of these two platforms in general that are getting traction or becoming mainstream. I think that bodes well for more business and enterprise use of AI, um, because that's it's all about adoption and just getting comfortable with the whole idea of AI, which is totally new to a lot of us. So, um, so I think that helps having those consumer products reach more of an audience to make it a little bit more mainstream and palatable to people.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I honestly think that the best benefit that's going to come out of this is it actually... Defines artificial intelligence, so it it showcases kind of on a mainstream. Everyone writes, right? Every job in the enterprise writes emails, arguably, or writes something. Um, and then when you actually look at the tool, though, if say you're writing, I did a demo um, recently at um, a local university that invited me to talk about business ethics. Um, an open AI, and I did a demo about what is a golden retriever. And so it can tell you a golden retriever is loving, a golden retriever is a great dog, a golden retriever. But if you wanted it to actually talk about your golden retriever, there's a human component of artificial intelligence. If you want it to talk about your business, just like any other AI system, you need to be able to have that human component and not just the code. So you really have to rely on the reviews. You have to rely on the ability to um, consume it, make sure it's on brand because it's mostly in the marketing world, which is why my team and I um, leverage and utilize it for optimization uses, um, specifically for social media and and other um, areas. But it still has a human component to it. And I think that's really the thesis of artificial intelligence and hopefully kind of lift the veil on the the fear-based. But I, I find it kind of funny how, you know, people just freak out about the uses of this in the classroom, as opposed to, you know, really saying, wow, isn't this a beautiful new technology? Let's learn together on how to utilize it best. With our students, we see school districts here in the United States completely banning it, um, which we've seen, you know, that really has never worked in the past. I don't know if you've met teenagers in technology, but that's never really been a, a great factor for them. But I think it's, it has that really po- polarizing effect, just like AI does in an organization. And that's where we see those, those pockets of resistance and just plain fear um, because of the unknown.
0: Yeah. I imagine, you know, back when the, what's it called? The abdicus abacus is that, or abacus, is that what it was? The, the old, old yeah, pre-calculator way of doing calculations. You know, you, you go from the abacus, which was even before my time, even though I'm old, I'm not that old. Um, and then you had calculators after that, and then now you can just say, you know, Hey Siri or Hey Alexa, you know, what's the square root of 144 and it'll, it'll do it for you. Um, and so it, I guess it's always been, technology's always sort of threatened to upend education in some ways. So I suppose it's really no different than, than that. Uh, it just might feel like it's on a bigger scale now, and maybe it is on a bigger scale, the, the, the advancements in AI, especially compared to a, a calculator, but. At the time, it's all relative, right? It's a it's a big it's a big disruption, and we've through history found ways to work around it. So hopefully, we'll continue to do the, to do that.
3: Yeah, it will certainly be interesting to see what happens. And for our audience, as always, if you have experience with OpenAI or let me try it again, Chat GPT, um, then <laughs> then we would love to hear about what that that looks like or what you think it might be able to benefit um, your overall enterprise technology um, as well. So definitely a hot topic. We'd love to hear from the audience um, to see kind of, do you see it as a use case or a benefit to your organization?
0: Yeah. And you may have heard Siri talking in the background. Apparently (laughs) Siri heard me say its name or her name. And, uh, so she was listening that entire time. So I'm terrified to know what she's going to do yeah. with that information. She just captured from this podcast.
3: Yeah. Well, if you remember last week, my, I w- my device, which I will not say the name, um, saying wheels on the bus nonstop, because that's what my toddlers, that's my life. Is I just hear right. wheels on the bus, wheels on the bus, wheels on the bus. So
0: oh, I remember those days, <laughs> young kids and their music. <laughs>
3: Oh, man. Well, I think it's a you know, it's definitely that emerging technologies is something that our consultants really enjoy being on kind of the forefront of it. And I'm definitely excited for this panel because I don't know if our audience understands, but these the caliber of experience in this panel is pretty incredible, you know, can rival any other big conference consulting panel that they have years and years um, and degrees of experience. In all types of organization, and all types of organizations so definitely excited to learn from that wealth of knowledge
0: yeah I think it's probably over a hundred years of combined experience on this panel discussion we're about to have um, and on the panel discussion we're going to talk about how to launch a career in consulting and we're going to have Adam Cheatham who's our managing director at third stage consulting we have Scott Janke who's a director uh, at our US office and then we also have Nate Stroer who's a practice lead. Um, Coincidentally, all all based here out of the U.S. uh, or or out of our U.S. office, Um, but we're going to have those three guests on the show here in just a moment to talk about how to get started in consulting, how to be more successful in consulting, and how to switch careers if you're looking to switch into consulting later in your career or mid-career. We'll talk about that as well. So we're going to have them on the show here when we come back from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
3: Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our Thought Leadership section.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 107. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world, including Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, etc. So be sure to check that out every Wednesday. So I'm excited for our next, uh, our first guest, I should say, our panel discussion guest. We're going to have three of them uh, on the show here. We're going to have Adam Cheatham, who's a managing director at Third Stage, uh, Nate Schroer, who's a practice lead, and Scott Janke, Dr. Scott Janke, as we'll uh, clarify here in a moment, uh, who is a director at Third Stage Consulting as well. So we're going to have them on the show to talk about how to launch a career in consulting. Thanks for joining us here today, guys.
1: All right. Thanks, Eric. Uh, Nate Storen, uh I am a Third Stage Consultant, Practice Lead, and have been in the consulting uh, field for roughly 20 years after I graduated from grad school, went to work for Deloitte Consulting and have a variety of of different consulting experiences throughout my career, mostly in the digital transformation and the financial analytics field, have also done a fair amount in change management as well. So excited to be here today and and look forward to the panel discussion.
0: Great. Yeah, thank you for being here. And you're you're a longtime team member and uh, appreciate having you here and getting your insights here today. So also joining is our recently promoted uh, director, uh, Scott Janke, who's been on the team for a while now, but was recently promoted to director in our consulting practice. Um, So, Scott, thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you. Um,
2: Scott Janke, director here at the Third Stage. I've uh, been consulting in operational roles for a good 25, 30-plus years. And much like Nate uh, described after I uh, uh, earned my MBA, uh, I, too, also joined uh, Deloitte, not together. Uh, but I've uh, spent the, the last 20-plus uh, years, as I mentioned, uh, in a lot of different roles, a lot of different industries. And uh, we'll talk about some of those experiences on this call.
0: And you're also a... Um... Former professor and PhD, so I failed to refer to you as Dr. Janky. I should refer to you as, as Dr. Scott Janky. Uh, no answer. worries. Uh,
2: and actually, to, to this topic, um, I ran a, a master's program at one of the University of Texas uh, campuses, and you can imagine the amount of questions I had from students asking how to get into uh, consulting. So this is a, a par for the course for a lot of the work I've done.
0: Yeah, great. Well, it'll be great to get your perspective. And the reason, part of the interesting perspective you can bring to Scott is the Kind of sort of the transitionary, uh, process you went through going from industry into consulting. I think that's a unique perspective that, that I don't have. So it'd be good to get your your perspective in that regard as well. And then last but not least, we have Adam Cheatham, who's our managing director recently promoted to managing director, um, who manages, uh, most, if not all of our global uh, consulting practice and, <clears> uh, Adam, thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself
4: of course well thanks for having me i've um, been in the consulting space for probably about 10 years now depending on how you look at it um, more than that with with eric uh, for sure so we got a great background uh, comes from an international perspective i got a, a, a degree from the university of virginia in foreign affairs um, and then realized i didn't want to go to live in the dc area anymore after i had been out of it for long enough so decided to continue my education into an international business perspective and just found that my skill set and my drive towards learning um, how business functions and helping with different types of businesses really is what inspired me to become more of a consultant rather than any part of a particular operational role Um, my view of business has always been from a a global and holistic perspective not just in singular functional areas and that's really where my interest in consulting comes from and my background in it so glad to be here today uh, looking forward to seeing some of the comments in the chat. love to see that we've got people from all over the world. Uh, I, you know, that's always fun to see on these chats. Uh, we've got some some folks in Europe, some folks in Africa, some folks in the States. I don't think I saw anybody from the APAC region yet, but uh, we'll see what happens throughout the day. Uh, but looking forward to really seeing what we uh, come up with here.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's there's a great audience here uh, to your point, Adam. Uh, Just a few examples, uh, Cardiff, Kenya, UK, Denver, Colorado in the US, uh, Hereford, UK, Brussels, Belgium, Sweden, Kuwait, uh, Cork, Ireland, Tampa, Florida in the US, Ohio in the US, uh, Brussels, Belgium, just to name a few. So, thanks for being here from all over the world today. And uh, I'm sure there's someone from Asia-Pacific that's up really late watching the (laughs) stream, really late their time. But uh, if you are, I'd love to hear from you. If you're up late at night in Asia-Pacific, would love to hear, uh, hear from me as well. So we'll get to audience questions here in a moment. So please start dropping those in the chat as you think of stuff. If there's anything you want to talk about, um, any topics related to careers and consulting, what it's like to be a consultant, what we like about it, what we don't like, the good, the bad, the ugly, any of that stuff you want to talk about, drop it in the chat, um, and we'll get to those questions here in a few moments. But first, just to get us started, while we're waiting for the audience to chime in with questions, I guess I wanted to start with with you, Nate, and ask you the question of just a real basic question of why did you why did you choose a career in consulting? What is it that it uh, appeal to you when you when you chose this career?
1: I think the thing that that most appealed to me and and 20 years ago and still today is the ability to work with the, the various different individuals, different organizations, different industries and different size of firms as well. We we here at Third Stage and throughout my career, I've been lucky enough to work with some Fortune 50 companies have also worked with some really good startup companies here over the last few years where we have five to 10 employees and we're just helping them along their paths. So I think for me, first and foremost, it's the variety of people, industries, and size of the
2: clients.
0: Yeah, that's great. How about how about you, Scott or Adam? What are some of the reasons why you guys, uh, why did you guys choose the career?
2: Much the same, but I'll, I'll be even more selfish. I love to eat and travel. And so uh, uh, consulting uh, offers you a lot of variety and that's kind of what uh, drove me to continue being in, in consulting. I have left a couple of times and taken on a, a senior level operational role, but uh, I just missed the opportunity to be challenged and that's the uh, the flexibility of, of all the clients you get to work with is pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. yeah, I might come back to that point about industry versus consulting and get, get some of your perspectives on the differences there, especially for those listening in that maybe are in industry or they've got another profession that they're in, but they're thinking about or interested in moving to, uh, the consulting space. Yeah. Um, and then Adam, last but not least, what are your thoughts? Why, why did you choose consulting?
4: Yeah. So, um, I, um, like Scott said, the, the variety of it is a, is a key part of it. I'm somebody that like, if you put me in a repetitive role, um, I will just suffer <laughs> and yeah. not be happy at all. I need, um, I need that type of simulation. And I was actually working at, um, large telecommunications company in the Denver area. Um, when I got a call from a consulting firm run by Eric Kimberling and that said, we have a new client in New Zealand. Would you like to go? Uh, I said, well, let me think real hard about that. Uh,
0: <laughs> we need you sorry. there on Monday. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So um, that was kind of a, a lead in that um, I needed to, to get into the industry and really haven't looked i have looked back once i did go back to the um a more operational role for a little while and just really miss the consulting side of things it's um it can be quite exhilarating there's a lot of work to do of course but um the mental stimulation and the challenges that that come along with it are just you can't beat them and you get a lot of exposure to so many different types of people the travel can be great um and you know the food is always a good thing you try things in different places so uh, that's really kind of how I got into it and came into it, left, and got bored um, and came back and I just am so glad to be here and uh, made the decision to go back to consulting because it's um, really been a key component of uh, my life, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear that perspective of kind of going back to industry and then realizing how much you miss it because I've I've never done anything but consulting and I always wonder what would I do if I wasn't doing consulting and I have no idea what I would do. Um, and I can't imagine, be another so bored. <laughs> I know I'd be really bored. I'd, I'd be a terrible employee. i probably wouldn't be happy. So <laughs> I'm sure there's something out there I might like besides consulting, but, uh, there is a lot to like That's about sure. consulting that I can't imagine doing much else. Um, what about, what is it, and you started to get into this Adam, but maybe we'll start with you on this next question, but what is it you like most about consulting? You mentioned the travel and the variety, you know, diverse experience. You're not bored. What are some of the other things you like most about being in consulting? Oh yeah.
4: Just you're always learning something new. I've been doing, like I said, I've been doing this for more than 10 years and um, I'm still learning new things today and things that you would never believe uh, happen. Like it uh, never occurred to me that not everybody runs either a a 52 week or a 12 month uh, calendar year, you know, but in some industries um, it's, it's different. They run it differently. And, I'm still learning to understand that financial aspect of it and the, and the key components of how you run a calendar year that isn't um, you know, June 1st through May 31st or whatever it may be, um, but that's fun. So there's always something new to learn and the interactions with the people and the clients are just, you can't replace them. You get to meet so many different types of people, um, understand so much of a great holistic view of not just how one business works how the just the global economy works when you start to understand different industries and how they fit in together uh, and how they complement each other. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, You also get to develop some really great relationships with some folks that you travel with and and folks that you work with, whether they're clients or uh, uh, consultants along your side and the partnerships are just you
0: can't beat them. You don't get that type of thing in any type of more traditional operational role. Yeah. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Scott? What is it you like most about consulting?
2: Yeah, there's there's some repetition to, to consulting uh, for sure. You know, There are skill sets and, and processes uh, that are repeated from one client to the other, but it's never the same. Uh, and I think that one of the, the advantages of being a consultant versus somebody who has long tenure at a company is they don't know what other people do. And so you, as a consultant, are able to provide such a unique perspective. And I know Eric has a a soft point uh, when we talk about best practices. Um, You could literally never take an exact process from another company and move it to another company. Industry is different. Size of the company is different. The integrations the technology is different. The staff is different. So there's always going to be some unique challenges for every client, even if you're doing the same project over and over again. Uh, it's mm-hmm. always a different roadmap and, and a little bit to what um, uh, Adam mentioned is I, I'm still amazed that I'm still learning stuff. It is it is such a unique thing to, to get into consulting and go to the same client after 10 years and they're doing things dramatically different and you have to get up to speed. And that, that challenge or that uh, motivation to kind of get up to speed is what I really like about consulting. Um, yeah, yeah the, the, the fact that the clients uh, kind of treat you as a confidant. Uh, And I'll have a lot of hallway conversations and and, uh, conference rooms where they pull you to the side saying, tell me the truth, right? How's the team doing? How's the staff doing? Because we have the perspective that the the clients usually don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And and you could, uh, what I always find fascinating is there's times where we'll come in and we'll make recommendations or observe things or provide insights that are, in some way, in some cases, they're similar to what the employees internally are saying or are feeling. But the fact that you're an outside consultant, it's just viewed differently. It's got more credibility, and it's it always amazes me that, um, you know, that that, that perceived um, the perceived value that comes from outside consultants is so much higher, um, which can be flattering at times. But it's also just an interesting dynamic as well. Um, yeah, that's that's great. What about what about you, Nate? What are some of the things that uh, you like best about consulting that we haven't talked about?
1: You know, I think just to add to what uh, what Adam and, and Scott said, I, I think it's I think it's interesting too the, that that um, you do have that that unique perspective, and we do a lot of um, a lot of d- digital transformation projects, and we deal with a lot of companies that have stalled in their uh, either an implementation or a transformation. And I think it's it's really interesting to to see the similarities that companies while Adam kind of referred to how different companies are i think there's there's also it's also real interesting and and real rewarding to see that that everyone's going through similar challenges everyone has their own secret sauce and, and, uh, sorry for an overused phrase, but I think everyone in, in within their company does a really good job with what they do uniquely, but, but they're all facing some pretty similar challenges. So our ability to come in and say, you know, we've seen this, we've, we've seen it a hundred times. We've seen, uh, best practices. We've seen leading practices. Here's how we can give you a roadmap to get out of what your challenges are and to get through the, the roadblocks that you're experiencing. Is, is really not, not only rewarding, but, it, but it's also fun to be able to, to keep uh, taking those skills that we're learning from the, from the client, um, mastering them more and implementing them with, with new experiences.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. What about on the flip side though? I'd be curious to hear why, Nate, you know, why, what is it you like least about consulting? Every career has a, has a dark side or, you know, things that aren't as fun as other, other jobs. What, what is it you like least about consulting or what have you seen other consultants struggle with in the field of consulting?
1: You know, I think for me, the, the biggest challenge is, is we, we are there for just a short window of time. So we will help a client um, from inception to go live. Uh, obviously we'd like to be involved in a in a, an organization after the system goes live and after they start to experience some of the advantages of implementing a new system but I think with me it's it's a little bit of that unfinished business it's it's mm-hmm. that you that you, you, you don't have ownership from beginning to end eventually you have to leave a client and you um, you know you move on to the next client so for me it's it's that it's that not you know not being able to, to really see something through fruition for a year or two down the road
0: yeah, that's a great point. You you build all these relationships and you become close to a client, and then you're you're gone, you know, because you, you've completed whatever the project is, and and that can be, it's it's rewarding in some ways because you get to meet so many different people and so many different clients. But on the flip side, um, you you have to move on and you don't own it, you know, long longer term, which is uh, a good point. Um, how about you, Scott? What what is it you like? What are some of the things you like least about it so far? Yeah,
2: it's 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 kind of the 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 literally the, the opposite of why I like it. Um, if, if you want that stability, that's the a wrong word to use, but if you want consistency and going to the same place every day working from that location, uh, consulting may be a challenge to, for you. Um, There's always a struggle with consulting from a work life balance. Um, uh, Many of us uh, at third stage have worked with the the big four before. I've been with KPMG as well as Deloitte. Uh, And I've been on projects where you literally are traveling on Sunday and coming back on Thursday or Friday every single week for years. Uh, I think consulting has changed a lot from that perspective. Uh, We are not a huge kind of uh, staffing model uh, at this point where we put 30 people on a, on a consulting project and they have to be there every every week. Uh, I think we found a nice balance here. Uh, I also don't want to travel every week uh, anymore, uh, but I like the variety. And many of our clients, especially through the, the whole COVID experience, uh, have really found the, the positive aspects of being remote. Uh, teams and, and tools like that uh, have allowed for consultants to operate before uh, or after uh, having to go through the experience of being on site every single day. So, But if you like that process, right? you want to write, drive down the same street to the same office every single day, but you like the, the sexiness of consulting, uh, that may not be what you uh, are going to use to move over to the, to the consulting world. But uh, I think if you like the variety, it's great. If you want that consistency uh, of the same workplace every year, um, that might be a challenge.
0: Yeah, it's not as predictable as other other Correct. careers. Yep. There's always curveballs coming at you too because you you've got you're dealing with cha- client challenges and client problems that you're trying to solve, and that inherently means that there's some uncertainty and unknown that comes along with that. We're here having a panel discussion with members of the third stage team talking about how to launch a career in consulting. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. <laughs>
2: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to 3rd Stage Consulting Group. 3rd Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organisations through their transformation pitfalls and risks.
0: to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 107. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here having a, a panel discussion to talk about how to launch a career in consulting with several of our team members from Third Stage Consulting. Let's jump back into the conversation. And how about you, Adam? What are some of the things that you dislike the most or have seen other consultants struggle with in the consulting field?
4: I, well, I think it's, I'd rather take it from a perspective of what I've seen other consultants struggle with because I, I love what I do and I bury myself in it sometimes to the detriment of you know um, what happens at home. Sometimes I get stuck up in my office for longer than I want to or the, than I ought to maybe because I, I love what I do. It's a ton of fun. Um, <clears throat> it's exhilarating in a lot of ways. But what I see a lot of folks struggle with is that when it when the time commitment is high, it is high and the expectations are that you match it. Um, there isn't a whole lot of room for, you know, I just don't have time for that. I, um, when you need to travel, you need to travel. And if you can't find somebody to watch your dog, I, you know, that's not my problem. Uh, you know, and the consulting industry can be a whole lot like that. A client's not going to really, they're going to see the rate that they're paying for you, and they're not going to worry that you've got to find somebody to, to take care of those things. So the level of commitment is... Um, especially when you find some success in it, is quite high, um, especially um, during peak times. And that's a part of the deal. And some people really enjoy that. You know, the, um, the workaholic nature of things can actually be really quite suited to consulting, but it can also be a double-edged sword in that if you, if you get too deep into it and you can't balance for yourself, um, your consulting firm is not going to balance your life for you. Um, so that's something that we see a lot of folks struggle with. Um, the other part of it is in a lot of consulting firms, the pace is fast. And mm-hmm. if you are not a self-starter and you are not disciplined to have your own drive, um, people aren't going to help you and drag you along. Um, if you if they find that they're dragging you, um, they're going to let go. And they're just going to let you fall mm-hmm. and let the rest sort itself out. So I think those are some of the things that we really see uh, folks struggle with consulting is um, is just the the level of commitment it is for those of us who live this it is something that is far more exhilarating than general operations but the pace is faster um, and the demands are higher and that's because you're um, your your clients are charged a rate for your time by the hour and so the expectations for that are high and that's just right. a part of the So I I think that's important to recognize that um, if you're somebody that needs repetition and needs a lot of um, guidance and helping figuring things out and a lot of double checking and things like that, um, maybe try something in a different field uh, than consulting or than you're in right now if you're not satisfied. But if this is you and you just can't get enough of, of just digging in, um, then maybe consulting is a great career for you because um, it's, it's really for me more about the skill sets that you have and what it is you bring to the table from an innate um, capabilities perspective than it is about specific experience. And I saw uh, Deep Patel in here ask about specific experience and specific software packages, um, the ability to learn is really more important. You know, great Salesforce experience is really dynamic. It's important, um, but at the same time, um, the ability to learn what other software packages can look like, and to apply the lessons that you've learned in working with Salesforce to those other packages, and knowing where it is they are complementary in nature. That's what makes a good consultant being able to leverage your experiences into something bigger, rather than something more niche and minute.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. And I think you know one of the thing that um, I'd be curious to get your guys' feedback on one of the thing I've seen other consultants struggle with and I and I struggle with this at times too is the idea or the the fact that a lot of times clients are under a lot of pressure. They're they're hiring you as a consultant because there's something going on in their organization that they can't solve themselves. It's either a big change initiative or some sort of problem you're trying to solve. And with that comes a lot of pressure and you, your problems or the client's problems become your problems mm-hmm. as a consultant. And, and oftentimes I found that you, you end up spending a lot of your time as, a, as sort of a therapist. You're, you're, you're a therapist for the clients because you have to listen. You have to understand. You have to empathize. You have to understand the pressure they're going through. And, and I've seen a lot of consultants struggle with that where they the pressure of that and the um, just the stress of that gets to them. Um, have you guys seen that or had, had issues with that yourselves? Yeah, I'll say. Um,
2: uh, Bob, can, you can hear me okay right now. Yeah. Uh, one of good. the one of the things that we talk about from a project management perspective, but it also speaks to your role as a consultant on the client side is what is your definition of success, right? Uh, clients do hire consultants, hire third stage often to solve problems they can't solve on their own, but um, we want to make sure that they don't put company, our project, or you as an individual in a situation where you have no wind uh, uh, out. So Mm. going through the challenge of, even if it's a challenging uh, aspect of the role, uh, you can create more bite-sized aspects of it and work towards that to be successful. um, Because you need to make sure that, that you have a path forward. That helps remove, I think, or at least reduce a lot of the anxieties that maybe even I have felt in the past of, wow, this is this monumental hill that we have to climb. It's, you don't climb Everest uh, to the top in one day, right? So, so getting the project and getting your role into more bite-sized components helps you kind of achieve maybe a longer-term success than if you looked at the big mountains and expected to climb that in one day.
0: Mm, yeah, it's well said about Adam or Nate. Have you seen that dynamic in play at play as well? Yeah, I think there are a couple of
2: things about
4: that. Not, not just, the you know, climbing the whole mountain as opposed to, um, in pieces, but I think the amount of pressure is a key component of it. Um, especially when you're talking about large transformations, like what we do, um, somebody hired you and their job is dependent on your success. Um, and you can only imagine what that drives people to do when, they need you to perform at their level of expectations and the level of expectations that are set for them. And so that's that's the bar you have to match. It's not my expectations of you. It's not your team's expectations of you. It's the clients. And they may, if you fail, their job may be at risk. And that's a that's a big responsibility. On the flip side of it the, though, there's a there's something so rewarding for being able to coach somebody through these types of programs, right? As a consultant, you don't make the decisions for your client. You make the recommendations and they follow them, right, because of your good guidance and because of the way that you've approached this and helped them through that challenge. And then you get to see them be successful sometimes um, after the fact, maybe sometimes a while later. um, I actually talked to a couple of folks this week that uh, we worked with them on their implementations and now they're they've come back a year later and said, Man, you guys were just so awesome! We've done such a great job, we've had all of these great wins. We love seeing that feedback loop. But the coaching side of it is something that, if you thrive in that type of an environment, and being able to provide advisory to folks and see them be successful, that's a great, great sync with how consulting works.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, well said. Agreed, and I think
4: to add on one thing to that is, <clears throat>
1: is, a, you know, when you when you think about you you mentioned ther- therapists therapist that you, you play somewhat of a therapist role, but I think, uh, you know, true true to form with the therapist is, is their job is is not and our job as consulting a lot of times is to let let the client talk through their problems and, and explore solutions and to validate or invalidate their, their solutions. So let, letting a client who knows, likely what the answer is to their problem, use them as you use you as a sounding board and really um, challenge them to consider other paths or to consider going deeper into the path that they're on and and really you know just just talking through things with them and and telling them you know here's what we've seen at other clients that's worked here's what they've had challenges with and and really you know letting them come up to with the solution on their own
0: yeah yeah makes makes sense I agree with that um just to circle back and close the loop on the whole question of do we have anyone from Asia Pacific here um, I have spotted our first uh known person from Asia Pacific we have Suwana on YouTube who's joining from Thailand so thank you for being here super late at night <laughs> Suwana you got India
4: here. folks folks from India in there too
0: yeah yeah, yeah it's true yeah yes. there's a few several from India here in fact um here's a here's a comment uh from Sarika from India and Sarika says, I'm, I'm being a consultant for the last 15 years, especially in ERP, payroll, CLM, and S2P. I love doing it. So um, at least Sarika listening in is a consultant and, and, and confirms that it's a great career, at least for, for that person's uh, needs and wants. Um, you, we talked about the question about how important it is to have experience with multiple systems, um, types of technology before you get into tech consulting. I guess maybe just to build on that question a little bit, even though we answered that question already, uh, it sort of triggered another thought, which is how do you, uh, a lot of times I get questions on on social media from people that ask, you know, what what system should I focus on? If I'm going to pick, I know I want to go into tech consulting, should I pick Salesforce? Should I pick SAP or Workday or Oracle or Microsoft? How, do you guys have recommendations on, on that? I know it, it's a little bit hard for us to answer that question, I admit, because we're independent technology agnostic and we as a company deal with multiple technologies, but that's pretty rare, most most consulting firms focus on one type of technology. So what are your guys thoughts to that? How, what advice would you give to someone who asked that question? I
1: think you can, I, I'll jump in. And I think, you know, I think there's, there's two different paths. And I think you can, we, we deal a lot with very technical resources. So we deal with people that will come in, and they're going to be the Salesforce expert, they're going to help you set up the system, configure the system, know, how to set up the security and the roles and all those really technical side. And then we've then we've got people, um, and I think it's Scott and Adam and I probably fall in more into that field where you're you're comfortable with technology. And and I don't want to say that all technology is the same. Obviously it's not, but I think it's <clears throat> in consulting it's it's getting that rhythm and getting that familiarity and getting that comfort level with with technology and coming in and learning enough about the technology that you're able to add value to your clients, but not being so deep that you you pigeonhole yourself into one specific technology. So it's a little bit of that becoming familiar with the with the unknown. And it's also uh, like I said, you can you can choose a role that lets you get really deep into one product, but then you really are deep into that one product.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, going back to kind of my previous role as, as faculty, um, a lot of students would ask me that, right? What, where do I go from here if I wanna get into consulting? And really the, the, the ask for from, from me is to really focus on what you think are your, your inherent skill sets that you've developed in school, what you've developed in work, uh, and also what your industry focuses, uh, because that would then drive what tools that you might want to get into. I will say it really kind of depends on whether you're 23 or you're 42, um, because how you get into consulting if you're not already in it now is through networking, is through what you know or what you can do. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times uh, clients may or may not have known I've never worked in industry, but you're good in running a project, you're good in motivating folks who know the, the deep technical aspect that Nada mentioned. Um, but the project was successful, so it's it's more about do you want to be a developer? Do you want to be somebody who builds integrations, or do you want to work in a space where Salesforce, SAP, Oracle, Inform, Epicor exist, and, Forex, uh, F4, uh, and the, the knowledge of the tools will come? Uh, I will tell you that uh, I don't think any of us on this call could, could program. Uh, uh, an application. Uh, if we did, it's, it's such a, a dated software uh, language that it's probably not applicable anymore. Uh, but I would say that that being able to speak the lingo and understand what the lingo is, uh, and being very clear about what you uh, feel comfortable within your wheelhouse versus the, the stretch that we'll talk about maybe uh, before we close out, is really more important than do I do I focus on one application or not. Uh, It's just a function of you can always go to work for a software company themselves if that's the space you want to work in. Uh, But from a consulting standpoint, those consultants that we supply to clients on the third stage are, are much more focused on the process of getting a project over the finish line than it is the technical nature. Because as Nate mentioned, many of the software companies will provide... Uh, technical resources on implementation. We are there to to be the glue to get them over the, the hump. And you will just pick up uh, technology as it happens. Uh, I just don't think that uh, I can answer your question uh, straightforward, uh, Eric, on, on which technology to focus on.
0: Well, a lot of it depends too on the the type of consulting firm you want to work for. Sure. If you want to work for one of the really big system integrators, you pretty much have to specialize. I mean, you have to pick a, not only pick a software, but you also have to pick a module typically within that software to specialize in. And oftentimes you're picking an industry as well. Um, and so it becomes a little bit more specialized, I'd say for, for some of those larger firms, but you look at a mid sized company like third stage that, you know, we've got 70 people, not hundreds of thousands of people, like some of the big, uh, system integrators. Um, where, you know, we value more breadth of experience, you know, having understanding of multiple systems. Of course, that has more to do, less to do with our size and more to do with the fact that we're technology agnostic and independent. Um, But a lot of those bigger firms do specialize. And then I think as you go to some of the smaller firms too, though, I think that's where the breadth, you know, becomes more relevant than the depth necessarily.
2: I will add to that, if you don't mind, Eric, is that uh, even if you start with a a big four and work in a particular industry, a particular technology package, um, eventually you're going to have to get out of that. Uh, mm. Most people want to grow in their role, grow within the organization, and at some point you're not going to be a technical analyst anymore. Um, so even if you take that path, you need to uh, understand what it takes to get to a leadership, to a management role, if you want to do that, obviously. Um, and that's where the, the skill sets that we're talking about, to really the third stage really comes in, into play. But I agree with you, Erica bigger firms, you're gonna jump in there, but you may not stay there very long if you want to. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
4: I actually really like that point where I always thought about in in my career and when folks come and ask me, how do I build a career in this type of a field? Um, It's not about the job you're about to take. It's about the job that you're gonna have after that. And how does this get you there? So where do you wanna be? Um, Should I specialize in SAP or Oracle? where do you want to go? Where do you want to right. be? Um, you know, there there are some answers to drive different, different paths in that. Should I specialize in CRM or HCM sales technology versus human resources technology? Where do you want to be? Um, do you want to work with companies to expand their sales platforms? Then think about CRM. If uh, do you have more of a human resources and recruiting type of fit to your skill set? And that's what, what drives you then look at HCM, right? So, um, Your career path can't really be uh, ignored in the one step. It's the steps that happen after. And that's really what's uh, for me the key to it and developing skill sets that help you drive there so that you can create this more holistic career uh, with where it is you'd like to head.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, well said. We've got some other feedback from uh, team members here, audience members, I should say. Um, I don't see the individual name, so I apologize for that. But um, someone on LinkedIn says in in solution architect and solution designer for mostly involved in telco, um, FSM, WFM. It's a lot of lot of acronyms there. Um, Subject matter expert in that field. So um, sounds like we've got uh, some consultants that are already in the field uh, providing some feedback here, which is great. Um, Another comment from LinkedIn. And and again, I don't see the name of the person, but uh, the person says I do enjoy digital transformation in ERP consulting. I had the opportunity to travel around many countries. The latest success was with the United Nations. January 2023 went live with Oracle Cloud. So that uh, sounds like a big, massive, cool project. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, I, and again, I apologize, I don't know your name, whoever that is, so I'll have to go to LinkedIn after this and watch the restream to see who that is. We're here having a panel discussion with members of the Third Stage team talking about how to launch a career in consulting. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
3: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 107. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here having a a panel discussion to talk about how to launch a career in consulting with several of our team members from Third Stage Consulting. Let's jump back into the conversation. Here's a question, though, from an audience uh, member on YouTube. And this is really, uh, I consider, consider this sort of a million-dollar question for people that maybe aren't in consulting yet, either they're just out of college or, or university or they're in industry and they want to break into consulting. Do you guys have any strategies or tips or, or things you would recommend to help someone um, break into consulting or, or join a consulting firm or get the attention of a consulting firm? What, what are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll take that first one. Um, a couple things it is... Is everyone's familiar with writing a resume, right? Uh, but they're usually a, a historical review of the roles you've had. Uh, the first step I would I would consider is is if you know anything about uh, project management, and if not, obviously, internet's a great source of that. Uh, try and identify the skill sets that you have already in place, independent of the roles that you've had. Uh, so if you've led a team, you've led a team. Period. No matter what industry, no matter what. Uh, you've done so. Kind of focus on that a little bit as well. Uh, but one of the things I'm really, I guess I shouldn't say surprised, but I'm 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 highly encouraged by a lot of the clients that we've worked with in the past. There are internal consultants; they just never call themselves that. And so there are almost an endless uh, list of projects that never get started within an organization because no one who, nobody wants to take the initiative to pony up working on a, on a task team or working on that aspect. So I would highly encourage you to seek out opportunities if you are fully employed right now uh, of helping the company do things outside of your wheelhouse. Uh, and that's gonna be a great way to figure out whether you like that, uh, but also would help you in conversations with consulting firms to demonstrate that initiative uh, and also describe what you've learned in there. Right? I teach uh, or used to talk, teach uh, project management along with operations. And it's amazing just the lingo of being in my class has helped a lot of the, the students get either internships or jobs after graduation because they know what a work breakdown structure is, they know what a project charter is. Uh, and so, getting your hands wet internally within your own organization is probably a great way to figure out if you like it first. And second, whether you can parlay that into job consulting if you want to leave.
0: Yeah, yeah, great, great points. I think that um, what I've what I've seen with people that I've that I've coached or mentored on how to get into consulting is that most people that I talk to have more relevant experience than they realize. You know, they come to me with a problem of, well, I've never done consulting. How how can I possibly be a consultant? And at the same time you, you start to ask the questions well, well tell me about your background what have you done and they start talking about you know i was a supply chain manager or i i did business process improvement or i helped design business processes for my internal company well those are super relevant or project management i, I was a project manager for this project wasn't erp wasn't digital transformation but you were a project manager so focus on the project manager part of it versus what you haven't done okay. and i think there's a lot of that even someone out of college you know it's, it's a little bit harder if you're just coming out of university, but if you're, say you're coming out of your university, uh, first of all, if you're in university, I would highly suggest you get an internship or something that gives you some sort of relevant experience because that will be a game changer for you in terms of getting the attention of recruiters. But uh, beyond that, you you also look to the things you learn in school. If you can, to your point, Scott, if you can talk the lingo, you know what's important, you can at least speak the language of consulting, then that's going to have a huge impact on getting the attention of of, uh, people as well.
4: I want to throw in something else that's kind of an interesting take on it, um, that it's not a, um, it's a service-oriented industry, right? Um, This consulting is professional services. That's what we do. And being service-oriented is a key component of uh, at least an indicator of success, I think, um, within the consulting industry on the whole. My background before consulting starts with uh, fine dining and food service. Understanding somebody's needs and then helping them address them. Now, from a consulting perspective, that's a, a whole lot more complex than uh, steak or chicken, right. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but still, you're, 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 your role is to meet somebody where they are and understand what it is they need. Um, if you combine that with a, a general and holistic approach to understanding how business functions, and you're in a pretty good spot to leverage some skill sets that are important in consulting. Now you, t- you throw in some more um, industry-specific uh, knowledge, um, some skill sets like program management, business analysis, business liaison, those types of things, networking, um, and you, you're, you've got a skill set that could work in this space. You know, that's, that's important um, as far as I'm concerned, more especially at the starting rate, i um, at the starting line than the 40 years of experience in this industry. Yeah, now you're a subject matter expert um, that has a, a, a very specified role. But from a breadth perspective, I can take those skill sets and I can apply those and I can help you learn the depth. It's um, mm. just um, yeah, everybody's heard that hard work will trump talent every time, um, but talent's not unimportant. You know, talent is a, a a set of skills that you have that are innate to you that you've built over time. That's if you're just starting to get into consulting, find the right firm, uh, like a third stage or somebody else that can help you hone those skills and apply them, teach you how to do that. Then you're you're in a real great spot to start working into the industry uh, long term.
0: And you have to define what what are the. skills skills like what are the important skills of being consulted and you've got the hard skills and the soft skills the hard skills are a bit easier to um, to get or to learn you know as far as learning a certain technology or a certain industry or business process whatever the case may be but it's the soft skills that I found are really hard to find um, and, and so if you're uh, you mentioned your food service uh, experience Adam and, and I when I was 15 years old I started working mainly so I could buy a car because my parents didn't have the money to buy me one so I knew I had to work to buy a car, when I turned 16, so when I was 15, I started working in, um, in food service as well, customer service-based jobs, and I did that all through high school. And I swear that those three years of doing that sort of work, I think that's more important in the skills that I gained during that time than some of the stuff I learned in college. And the reason was because I dealt with really difficult customers. I had to listen. I had to be patient. I had to understand. And that—that's the the communication, the way you respond to that, the, those stressors, and that sort of thing. That to me is really important and underrated in consulting. And I've seen a lot of consultants that are brilliant, brilliant consultants on you know in terms of the hard skills, but they didn't have those soft skills, and they fail as consultants, or they're just not effective because they can't they can't do both. And you have to be able to do both. You have to have the hard skills and the soft skills. So I always look at you know I actually. Um, when I look at resumes, if I see someone that has a food service or some sort of customer service based background, that's super appealing to me because I think, OK, I can't teach you how to deal with stress or how to deal with difficult clients. I can't teach you that. I can teach you the other stuff. I can teach you the technology and the business process and the hard stuff, but I can't teach you how to deal with a really difficult client, or at least I can't do it within a reasonable amount of time. So so that customer service based background is really important. So if you have that, if you're you know listening in and you're thinking, well, I have some of that experience, I would definitely highlight that. And more importantly, translate that for your target audience of what that means to being an effective consultant. If you can say I was in customer service for X number of years or however long, I learned how to do whatever it was, communicate with people, deal with difficult customers, whatever. Um, you want to highlight some of those those things as well. Um, how about yeah. you Nate? anything you'd add to that?
1: You know, I think and I and I'll kind of put the the, the three legs of a stool. Uh, answer to this, cause I think it's, it's hard work or it's the, it's having the hard skills and the soft skills. And then I also think it's, it's getting in and, um, <clears throat> for the most part, when you, when you enter a consulting organization, especially if you're coming out of college or you don't have a lot of consulting skills. Pick one project that you're going to be working on, figure out what success means in that project and do it really well. I, I, I read the other day as an analogy, I read about a, a one of the newly hired NFL coaches here started as a receiver coach. And he talked about how it was it was just a really, really small kind of insignificant job, but he did it really well. And he learned how it interacted with all the rest of the team, both on an offense and a defense side, and really started to learn the whole organization from that one position. So I, I would say, get the soft skills, learn the soft skills, learn the hard skills, but also with whatever you start out with, do it really well. Lock in whether it's being on a project and your learning requirements. Do it the best that you can, and really figure out where that fits in to the whole scheme of the overall project and how it's going to benefit the organization as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, really well put. Um,
2: I'll tell you one thing: the the, the initiative uh, part of being a consultant, I can't um, stress that enough. Uh, and I have a I have a gauge and and uh, how to judge new consultants that i work with on a project especially if it's a new project and it's the first time I've, I've flown to this client let's say uh, i know i have the right people when we get in the car and two of them already have their phone open with the map of how to get the directions when i know there's a struggle with anybody that i work with for the first time is i get in and somehow they thought because i dri- i'm driving i have to give the directions too yeah. uh, and i'd rather have an initiative people gone you know there are three alternatives, the alternate routes to get to that client. And they're helping me be successful in getting to the client. It's something really simple, but it's sort of like if I had to ask you to give me directions, I have a feeling that that's how I have to potentially work with you. And I'd rather have somebody come up and like, hey, I have three ideas you want to talk about kind of thing. I, I want that initiative, uh, the, the motivation to be there for, for anybody that gets a consultant, even, even some of the senior folks on this call right
0: now. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's also uh, that's a, that's a really interesting point, Scott. I, I hadn't thought of that, but it is a good Litmus test, and it it sort of reminds me of uh, you know people people ask me you know how do you choose cultural fit, and and we're all about culture at Third Stage, and that's something that's really important to me is making sure that we build a strong culture. And I always use the Litmus test. I use it similar to your your directions to the hotel sort of or directions of the client sort of uh, Litmus test. Is I always use a Litmus test of if I get stranded in an airport because my flight gets delayed for say four hours. And I'm stuck with you at an airport at a at an airport bar. Would I enjoy that time? Do I think I would enjoy hanging out, being stuck at an airport with that person? And if I if I answer the question yes, I think I would, then that's that. It's as simple as it sounds. I think that's probably a pretty good cultural fit. If I feel like no, that'd be kind of a drag. I don't know if I'd enjoy that time. Then that, that might mean And uh, that sounds super su- superficial in some ways, but in other ways, it's uh, you have to look at those simple little things to see, you know, to gauge cultural fit. I think oh. something else
4: that I really like to look for is a sense of humility, right? Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Ky- Kyler that. called it. She knew she knows yeah. me too well. She's heard me say it too many times. Uh, she knew I was going to bring up the airport thing, so she beat uh, me to the punch.
4: There you go. Well, uh, humility is a key component of this too, right? Um, and that's enjoyable in an airport when you're stuck there by yourself and not like, this is all about me and how miserable this is for me. It's like, okay, yeah. this is where we are. Like how miserable you may be stuck in the airport with me is not going to change the fact that you are stuck in an airport with me. Um, It's also um, important to just understand that um, you're going to make recommendations to clients and they're going to look at you and say, Nope. (laughs) And you got to be able to handle that. Right. So not only handle that and understand that it's the client's prerogative, not to take your recommendation if they don't want to, but, they understand things that, and have a vision of their business that you won't. And they probably know things that you don't because you're in, they're intentionally not sharing their secret strategies and things like that. So when somebody says, that's a great recommendation, we are going to ignore it and go the opposite <laughs> direction, that will happen. It happens on the regular. And so your job as a consultant isn't to get upset because you feel like they just insulted you by telling you your recommendation is not the path they'll go but to say all right cool you know what you want to go a different direction here's how i can help with that instead i can help you work through the risks of the direction you're going to go and this is what those look like so that you're enabled so it's it's not about being right it's about being service oriented and a humility to that is something that i've seen some consultants that don't have really struggle with clients who say nope not not going to do that we're going to do something totally different so it's, that's a key component of it that i think is important
0: yeah yeah i've got i've got a i agree with that by the way and i've got a closing question i'm going to get to in just a second but i have to ask this question because i think it's a really good one and I, i'll just ask you this scott because i think you might have a unique perspective here um oh shoot where was it so it's from ak over on on youtube Asked the question of does having an MBA degree in leadership skills give an edge in a consulting career. And in just a backdrop here, I have an MBA at the time in my career, at that time in in the late 90s, it was totally worth it to me and I'm glad I got my MBA. However, I don't know if I have a good, an- a good answer for this now. And so I'd be curious to see what you think, Scott. Is it worth having an MBA? Does it help you in the career of consulting?
2: I, I, it it kind of goes a little bit piggybacking on what Adam mentioned about where do you want to end up. Uh, I do not think that an MBA is mandatory to get in consulting. I think that being... Being inquisitive about learning and being able to adopt and to gain traction on anything you do is probably more important. You, if you're smart, if you can absorb um, experiences, you could you could start in consulting much sooner uh, than somebody who is going to work in industry for two, three, four years, go get an MBA, and expect to go work at you know booze or work at you know. Uh, some of the elite schools, uh, elite uh, consulting firms. So, but those are rare and far between, right? Uh, yeah. It's much better to have practical experience and, and a history of proving that you can uh, overcome obstacles and that you've grown in your role. So uh, in another way of saying that, if you have 27 years of working in the same role, same department, that's more like two, three years times 10. Right? you're not really growing and developing. So if you can prove that as a traction uh, in, your, in your current job, I think that's gonna be much more beneficial. Uh, one nice thing that's going on in, in, in the market, at least in the United States, is a very tight uh, labor pool. So if you can demonstrate that you can adapt and get, in, get thrown into a situation and be successful, that's probably more important than having a pedigree uh, where the MBA used to be uh, a requirement. I think all of us have a graduate degree, I think. Um, and I would say that that's, that's great if you want to transition. So if you're in an industry or you're a construction worker and you want to go work in, in consulting, getting an MBA is probably a good track to go because that gives you the, the baseline to get into it. But I think if you're just smart and experienced and show that you've been in situations to, to learn and grow, I think that's probably more valuable now than an MBA. Yeah, I do
4: want to point something out, though. How many MBAs on the, on the call right now?
0: four of them so all four of us have (laughs) MBAs.
4: so to um to qualify that i think that this is a correlation rather than a causation type of thing right the type of folks who go and get an mba are they're inquisitive by nature they are seeking knowledge which is a great skill set to have for a consultant and highly um correlated towards success so an MBA doesn't mean that you're on a consultant track and you don't have to have an MBA to be on a consultant track, but they are correlated in nature because they share some of the same types of skill sets and inquisitive natures that um, drive both industries. So I think that's important to note, um, but at the same time, um, you know, it's, um, background comes in many different forms. You know, Diversity of background is a key component to a large consulting firm. Um, and something that we look for at third stage as well. So it's not like we say, all right, that person is an MBA, they get a job. It's a, can they add value with the diversity of their background that they bring to the table?
2: Let, let me qualify, because uh, I'm not disagreeing with you, Adam. It's that education is important. The degree, degree is less. Education yes. is very important. I have, I have many degrees and many certifications. So I'm not speaking from a, a platform of just wing it and, <laughs> and just get job experience. Uh, it's education, learn, and, and use that correctly. I, I know I've had uh, technical folks that I've worked with that have 15 different acronyms after their name. But they couldn't talk in a meeting. They couldn't lead somebody at all, right? Mm-hmm. So education or degrees just for the sake of it, maybe not. But if you parlay that into what you know, who you are, you can probably be successful in a lot of different avenues.
0: Yep, I yeah. agree. And there's a lot of ways to get the skills you need too. You know, beyond an MBA, you've got yep. you know, P M P certifications or pro size certification if you're interested in change management. There's Lean Six Sigma certification. There's a lot of, you know, lower hanging fruit, I guess you could say. Um the, if you're willing to invest some time and money, maybe not two years for an MBA and however much money it costs to get an MBA nowadays. Um, there's other options as well. So there are a lot of different ways to develop the skills you need. And I think the key is to recognize and be creative about how you develop those skills and how you sell those skills to your potential uh, consulting employer. So um, really good stuff. I really appreciate your guys' time. We Time flies by when you're talking about something fun like this, but uh, we are up against our, our uh, top of the hour here. So uh, we'll wrap it up, but I, I want to thank you guys for, for your unique perspectives. And for those of you listening on the audience, if you are interested in careers at third stage consulting, we are growing very aggressively, very quickly, and we are constantly growing our team would love to hear from you. You can email any of, actually you could ping any of the four of us on LinkedIn. So if you find us on LinkedIn, you can ping any of the four of us that are here on the panel, uh, or you can email work at thirdstage-consulting.com. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks for being here. That was a great conversation. Time flies when you're having fun and we definitely could have spent a lot more time on that topic in fact we are going to spend a little bit more time on that topic just kyler and i we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and, and uh, dive into some of those uh, threads a little bit more and, and cover a couple other things here but first we're going to take a quick break you're listening to transformation ground control give me the to
2: wonder to wonder.
3: download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 107. This is the podcast about all things related to digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of change. Thank you for being here today. We just had our guest on the show, our panel discussion to talk about how to launch a career in consulting. Uh, What were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation, Kyler?
3: Well, it's it's an interesting dynamic because you have um, some folks that have spent their entire careers as consultants. And then you have others that had worked on the industry side too. And you see kind of how those ebb and flow together. Um, so the experience piece of that I think is, is nice and just saying that you you can be a career consultant, but you can also have a career on the enterprise side or on the industry side and come over to consulting if that's something that you feel as though you know is the right choice for you. Um, and a, a lot of kind of entrepreneurial skills and observations there of, you know, the, the need for learning, of the need for um, understanding different businesses and the passion around that. And that's really kind of, you know, the thesis of what we do at Third Stage is come in and really become experts in business operations and technology within a unique organization and then bring our industry expertise to provide the best recommendation that's going to maximize business value. So it's it's kind of, cool to see behind the scenes of how all of that happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. And also interesting to hear um, some of their perspectives on what they like and don't like about consulting. Because, you know, it's something we don't talk a lot about, you know, when we're day-to-day helping clients out and on projects. It's just not a a topic that we cover enough probably. So it was interesting to hear their perspectives.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I had no idea, Scott, liked to um, eat and travel, which I get that. I could totally see how he wants, (laughs) wants to do that. But I know that that's a, you know, a big consideration when going into consulting is just you know, the, the need for being present in businesses. And, and that changed a lot in the industry when we had COVID-19. But sometimes we were immune to it because of the deep need to be with our clients on the ground in their manufacturing or distribution centers. Um, and I think Scott Jenkins is really a, 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 a key to um, case study success there is he has the keys to many of our clients' buildings. So,
0: <laughs> right,
3: yeah, he does.
0: Yeah, there's so a lot I, of a lot of brain power in that discussion for sure. Oh,
3: absolutely, yeah, and and I think it's um it's really interesting just the overall establishment of the network and how many people overthink the the overall approach to networking. It can be as easy as connecting with someone on LinkedIn, commenting on um, you know their content, asking for a quick conversation with them. Um, and that, you know, slowly starts to build out your ability to, you know, create a network and mostly decide what you want to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, LinkedIn is something that's so great to have now. It wasn't around when I was starting off in consulting, but I would love to have had it or had, had that option to be able to network with people, learn from people, connect with people and ultimately outreach to people that, you know, you might be interested in working with or for. So it's a pretty powerful tool that, if you leverage it right, can be highly effective. I know I get a lot of emails on just on LinkedIn uh, every day. People that want a job or they're forwarding me their resume, and you have to recognize that you know people that are hiring generally get a lot of emails like that. So, so doing something to stand out and really get the attention of the person you're you're contacting and give them purpose. You know why you know you're reaching out um, for a reason other than just asking for a job. There there has to be some sort of uh, give and take too, and so anything you can do to, um, you know, get just pique the interest. For example, I've I've had a couple people because I've mentioned it in a video or two on my YouTube channel. I've mentioned that something that catches my attention is when someone puts a video, uh, in the email. So rather than just saying, "Hey, look at my resume and let's schedule an interview," they're giving me a video so I can kind of get a feel for who this person is, what their personality is like, and it, it makes it easier for me. And I'm going to build a faster connection with that person that sends a, a link to a video that they. You know, create nothing crazy, just two, three, four minutes or whatever it is uh, to introduce yourself and talk about why you want to work for me, if that's the case or whatever. So th- some, that's just one example of how people, I've seen people use it effectively for, with me. And I have to think that there's other ways beyond that and creative ways to get the attention of people that you might be trying to network with to hopefully position yourself for a for a career shift.
3: And ultimately, that's what you need to do to be an effective consultant, right, is to be able to gain that trust and that expertise and that overall authenticity with clients because it's it can be a vulnerable experience. You're going into an organization that might be going through a very high stress, expensive project. Um, so lots of different conflicting agendas, personalities, managing the vendor relationships, all of those types of things really takes a special type of person that is able to not only manage that, but stand out and gain trust in doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well said.
3: Yeah. Well, if you have questions, again, I I mentioned in the episode and we popped it in the comments um, about working at Third Stage, you can email work at thirdstage-consulting.com or you can visit the careers tab on our website. Um, and then I did also link to all of our, our panelists there that put out thought leadership on a daily basis. Um, so please continue to, to follow them. Um, and if you do have any other thoughts and advice, we do pull from these comments here, and I know we have a great consulting network and always interested in learning from our peers in the industry. So go ahead and kind of pop your, your best advice in here too. Um, and we'll, we'll pull that and share it on our social media.
0: Yep. That sounds good. And, and actually we're going to shift gears sort of actually it's a total 180. It's same, same thread, same topic, but we're going to flip it around here in this uh, last segment of the show. And talk about why you should not be a consultant because a lot of times it's just as important to recognize when it's not a good fit for you as finding the opportunity that is a good fit and a lot of times people get enamored by the idea of being a consultant um, but they don't realize that there is you know there's a dark side there's stuff about consulting that not everyone likes the long hours i know we talked about that in the panel discussion the travel some people don't like traveling a lot they like it once in a while Or they like traveling to really glamorous places and staying at really nice hotels. And for the type of consulting we do, it's a lot of like manufacturing companies that are based in the middle of nowhere. So you're staying at a hotel that isn't you know, going to be the nicest hotel or you're in a city that's not the sexiest, most glamorous city out there. But a lot of times like friends and family of mine that aren't in consulting know nothing about it, think that I'm out jet setting staying in fancy hotels eating fancy meals and stuff like that and if only they knew some of the some of the ways you have to grind it out you know out on the road sometimes so there are dark sides that um a lot of people don't recognize so we want to talk about that and actually in the, after the break here we're going to play a, a video from my youtube channel where i i spent about 10 minutes just talking about why you should not be a consultant and the idea here is that if you're still standing and you're still interested in consulting after hearing this video then maybe consulting is a good choice for you and maybe it'll weed some of you out to where you think, okay, maybe that's not for me and maybe I go look at something else. So that's the whole idea there before before that. So having said all that, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and play that video. Uh, But first, we'll take that break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
3: Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our Thought Leadership section.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 107. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And we are going to play you a clip here real quick uh, from my YouTube channel, a video that's called Why You Should Not Be a Consultant. And the idea here is to share with you some of the things that you may not like about consulting, if that's a career you're thinking about. And if you still like the idea of consulting, even after hearing this video, then maybe it is the right choice for you. So we'll play this clip and then we'll come back and discuss it. But let's roll this clip called uh, Why You Should Not Be a Consultant from my YouTube channel. I've been a consultant for 25 years now, and I'm here to tell you that you should not be a consultant. I'm going to talk about why here today. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world with their digital transformation journeys, and back in the late 1990s, I started my career unwillingly as a consultant. I found a job at Price Waterhouse after coming out of grad school and actually turned out to really enjoy consulting. Having said that though, there's a lot of reasons why you should not be a consultant. And to be fair, there's a lot of reasons why you should be a consultant. So I'm actually gonna talk about both here today, starting with why you should be a consultant, but I'm also gonna talk about later why you should not be a consultant and some of the things to think about. And stay tuned to the end of the video, because at the end, I'm gonna talk about how to determine whether or not consulting is right for you once I've gone through some of those pros and cons. So to start, let's talk about what the positives are, the pros of being a consultant. And first and foremost, as a consultant, you get to make a big impact on organizations. You could work internally at an organization and have the same skill set and have the same advice you might give to your internal team. But if you're an outside consultant, you could have the same skill set and the same competencies and come in and have just a different impact. People look to you as an expert. They typically are hiring consultants because they want to go through some sort of change and they're looking for direction and advice. So it's an opportunity to really affect and influence how big, massive, influential organizations throughout the world operate. And that can be very exciting. For example, many of the clients we work with at Third Stage are for-profit companies that produce really cool stuff. They manufacture really cool products. Others are nonprofits that are furthering society. Others are government entities that are helping people. So there's a lot of indirect end results that you get a lot of benefit from or a lot of joy from as a consultant. most of the challenges that consultants are asked to fix are very challenging and rewarding. So you're solving complex problems, you get to really stretch your brain, you're constantly learning and you're constantly learning new industries and how businesses operate, the operational dynamics, organizational dynamics, technology dynamics. And it really is a space where I don't think you would ever fully master the area of consulting or the art of consulting. There's just so many different industries to learn and even within one industry, you have so many different types of companies and cultures and operational models, and it's just a fascinating place to be. So it is very rewarding. You learn a lot, and that can be a benefit of being a consultant. By being a consultant, you're oftentimes setting yourself up to be successful in whatever career you might pursue post-consulting, and it's a good resume builder. So. If you have worked with helping some leading organizations throughout the world solve complex problems, you're gonna be a lot more marketable, a lot more desirable to other organizations in the future. You may decide in the future you don't wanna be a consultant anymore, you're tired of the travel, maybe the stress catches up to you, the long hours catch up to you, whatever the case may be, in which case having that consulting background will help set you up for success in the future. Now, if you're intrigued by emerging technologies as I am, it can be a really fascinating space in consulting to learn about these emerging technologies. And I mentioned before how you're constantly learning about new industries, new businesses, new cultures, but you're also learning about new technologies, whether it's artificial intelligence, data analytics, or robotics, or machine learning, ERP systems, whatever it may be, you're constantly forced to learn new technologies. And if you wanna be effective, you're gonna constantly stay on the cutting edge of where technology is headed, And you're going to stay on the cutting edge of understanding how technology works within complex organizations so if you enjoy technology and you enjoy learning different things and you don't want to be limited or constrained by what any one organization might use internally within their organization consulting can be a great way to open your mind to other types of technologies and things to learn within those spaces now i just talked about some of the good aspects of consulting some of the pros but there's also some downside risk and that's really what I want to focus here today or what are those downsides or the cons of being a consultant and the first is that it's a lot of hard work a lot of people that don't have strong work ethics and don't like working long hours don't succeed in consulting because it's just too much uh, if you value the 40-hour work week and eight to five work-life balance and weekends off and holidays off all the time consulting may not be for you there's a lot of pressure. There's client demands that can catch up to you. And if you're not prepared for that, or if you don't want to work hard, it's not gonna be a good fit for you. So if you're really valuing a lifestyle balance or work-life balance, and you value that more than you value career exposure and long-term career growth potential, consulting may not be the right fit for you. If you've watched my videos for some time, or you've gone deep into my YouTube channel, You've probably seen me talk about some of my experiences working for the big system integrators and some of the downside risk of the big consulting firms in the industry. And if I were to summarize what some of those challenges trace back to, a lot of it is politics, especially for the larger consulting firms like Deloitte, Accenture, KPMG, Capgemini, all those guys. There's a deep seated political dynamic that can be very unhealthy and very stressful. And it was for me, that was actually the main reason why I left the larger consulting firms. Larger consulting firms typically are focused on protecting big revenue streams with big clients, big projects, and when there's that much money at risk, it drives a lot of unhealthy political dynamics internally within the consulting organization. And what I mean by that, just to give you a couple examples, is oftentimes you aren't completely transparent with your clients because you're trying to protect that revenue stream. I know I spent a lot of hours in meetings with other team members trying to figure out how we were gonna spin or put a positive spin on really bad news something that made us look good and didn't make us look bad. So we spent more time doing that rather than focusing on how to solve the client's problems. And that can be a very stressful thing if you're not ready for that or if you don't like that sort of thing. In my case, I didn't like it, so that's why I moved on. So that's something to keep in mind is the politics and stress of especially larger consulting firms can be very stressful for some individuals. No matter how irrational it may seem, whenever a client has a problem, it becomes your problem. As a consultant, there are high expectations. They've hired you to come fix a problem. By definition, they are struggling. They have some sort of problem that they don't feel like they can address themselves. So therefore, they are hiring you as a consultant. So oftentimes, you're going into a situation that is very difficult, very stressful, because the client has some other dynamics at play oftentimes that are undermining their abilities to solve whatever problems they're trying to solve. For example, organizations that are trying to implement new technologies and they're struggling with the deployment of new technologies. Oftentimes it's not because the consultants don't know how to deploy technology, oftentimes it's because there's internal political fighting, there's unhealthy cultures, there's, there's broken operational processes and things wrong with the organization that aren't necessarily your fault as a consultant, but it becomes your problem because now you've got to figure out how to solve this problem that you didn't create. So a lot of times consultants I've worked with really struggle with that dynamic and I always try to set expectations with consultants we hire by saying that if you want to be a good consultant you and you want to be effective, you need to think about how you can be a better therapist to your clients because ultimately half the battle and half the value of consulting is listening to and understanding your client's problems. Even though it's not technically your problem, it really is your problem to help understand what the problem is so that you can ultimately help get to the root cause and help solve it. So. Whenever there's client problems, they typically become your problems and there's a lot of high expectations that go along with that. So that's something to keep in mind as you consider a career in consulting. One of the biggest keys to success as a consultant is what I often refer to as the finesse of consulting. It's more of an art, it's not a science. And that is the soft skill of consulting. When I was first starting my career in my early 20s as a consultant, there's a lot I didn't know. There's still a lot I didn't know, but I knew even less back then. And one of the ways I overcame that lack of knowledge and that lack of experience was by really mastering my finesse and knowing how to ask questions, knowing how to read clients, and really becoming somewhat of a chameleon that can respond to different situations and adjust and be very adaptable. So those soft skills are something that's are very difficult to teach. And if you don't have them, it can be very difficult to master or develop. So you really need to look at yourself and understand, not only do you have the, the hard skills, the tangible skills, the technology skills, the understanding of business processes, all the stuff that's important and good stuff, but do you also have those soft skills? And if you don't have the soft skills or you don't like the soft skills or demonstrating those soft skills, you may want to rethink a career in consulting. Now, the final disadvantage I'll point out here in this video is the fact that for many larger consulting firms, the pace of advancement is very slow you have to demonstrate a certain amount of tenure before you can move up within the organization. In fact, I grew very impatient, especially being in my early to mid-20s, early in my career, to where I felt like I could do a lot more than what I was being allowed to do at one of the big consulting firms, which is another reason why I left the big consulting firm to go to a smaller one. So you may want to rethink if you're looking at one of the big, massive consulting firms and upward advancement and quick upward advancement is important to you and you want to constantly challenge yourself, be sure you really think through that dynamic because Big consulting firms are designed to ensure that no one fails on the project. And they've really mastered this whole science of bringing in college grads that don't know what they're doing and putting them in a position where they can't fail. And part of the reason you ensure that you're not gonna fail is ensure that you're not gonna move up too quickly. They're gonna slow you down and make sure that you move up only after you're 100% prepared for that next step in the process. So if that's something that does not sound appealing to you, the good news is there is an option. You can go to a smaller consulting firm You can go to a mid-tier consulting firm that might give you a little bit more advancement opportunity. The challenge there, of course, is if you don't have consulting experience, it's going to be harder to get a job with one of those firms. So that's the trade-off you've got to navigate, but something to keep in mind as you consider a career in consulting. So this all begs the question, is consulting right for me? I guess it really just depends on your personality and what your goals are. If you like to work hard, you have those soft skills that help you be an effective consultant, you like to learn a lot, you're interested in different types of businesses and problem solving, consulting could be a great career. But if you like more predictability, more stable work environments, things that are more predictable, all that stuff, then consulting may not be a good career for you. And certainly if you don't wanna work hard and you don't wanna deal with a lot of stress and travel, and different types of clients and dysfunctional organizations then consulting may not be the right answer for you so i hope this has given you a bit of a sense of whether or not consulting would be a right fit for you i encourage you if you are interested in learning more about consulting for a company like third stage i've included our recruiting contact information below and i've also included at the bottom of the screen here so please feel free to send your cv or express your interest via the email i've included linked to below so i hope you found this information useful and hope you have a great day all right. So that was my video from my YouTube channel called How to or, or Why You Should Not Be a Consultant. And by the way, um, I've got hundreds of videos on my YouTube channel. If you're not subscribing to me there, be sure to subscribe and, and check out some of the videos there. I try to put out helpful content and hopefully that clip from my YouTube channel is just one of many, many that are out there. Hopefully that was helpful to you. Um, we're going to dive into some of these topics here and, and cover them in a little more detail about why you should not be a consultant and some of the things I talk about in that video. We're gonna uh, discuss that in a little bit more detail, but first I'm gonna take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation growth Control.
3: Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at, at thirdstage consultingcom
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 107. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and we just played this video, Kyler, called Why You Should Not Be a Consultant. What What were your thoughts? Does it make you want to be a consultant or not want to be a consultant after <laughs> well, watching it? yeah, me
3: video? definitely, but I, I feel like I'm, you know, I am, as I always say, a corporate dropout, which, um, right. so I've consulting is right for me in, in that um, I love all of the pros and all of the cons work fine for me as well, um, but just as a programming note, so you can find this uh, blog as well on our website. We have a table of contents that goes through each step um, or each pro and con that Eric listed out if you are interested in kind of garnering that and and reading it through in more detail. So that's on our website as well. Um, So I want to kind of talk about um, some of the additional cons that you might not have touched on um, in the conversation. And the one I want to start with is politics. And I almost wish we would have asked this a little bit more in um, our discussion, because I know that team has a wealth of experience in kind of navigating the politics and the client problems are your problems, like you say in in the video. So can you talk a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the benefits of being a consultant is you don't get caught up in Day to day politics, generally speaking, unless of course your consulting firm has politics, um, a lot of the big consulting firms. There was a ton of politics when I was there, and I think that's still the case. There's a lot of internal politics at big consulting firms, but generally speaking, uh, you're somewhat shielded from politics of your client organizations because you you don't live there, you're not there every day, you're not you know part of that political climate. But it inevitably affects you as a consultant because you have to understand the political climate. You may not got, get caught up in it personally. Uh, and you shouldn't get caught up in it personally. If you do, then there's, there's a problem with how you're navigating the consulting or the consultant and client relationship. But I'd say that there is a lot you need to be aware of because there's, you have to understand, I think at the end of the day, you just, it's it's about empathizing and understanding. So you understanding why someone, for example, is just being crazy. You know, why is this person being so demanding and just being flat out crazy? Well, it's usually not because the person is just crazy. It's usually because there's something there. There's something underlying it. It's because that person is feeling the heat. They're on the hot seat. Uh, perhaps the project manager before them or the executive sponsor before them failed and got fired. And they're feeling the heat of having to now come in and clean up a situation. And they're taking it out on you because you're the consultant. And, you know, they feel safe with you or comfortable with you. And so, you know, it's hard not to internalize some of that, some of that stress and, and feel the politics and, and feel the organizational realities. But you have to understand it so that you can help the client through it. Um, Not that you want to necessarily judge whether the political climate is good or bad, although it it could affect your change program, but you do need to understand it so you can can just empathize with your client to be able to help them through the process.
3: And, And two, kind of that goes in with your number seven point, that is the client problems are your problems, which also kind of goes into your number five point, which is it's hard work. And I think that's many times like the glamorization of I am, you know, a, an enterprise digital consultant um, sounds very fancy, but at at the same time, you have to realize that there is no nine to five. Although, you know, here at at um, third stage, we always respect and you know identify boundaries. There still is times when we've been up at two in the morning because we are a global consulting firm, and that's what was best for our clients. So. I know when I uh, when I interview people to come to our team that's one thing I want to be perfectly clear about is though we have a family first mentality and respect the needs of our employees as human beings it does require some time to work outside of that nine to five window
0: yeah yeah absolutely there's a lot of flexibility that you need to have and it gets back to the point we had earlier in the panel discussion I think it was uh, I think it was Adam that mentioned it that you know the comfort of working predictable hours and predictable workloads, things like that. If that's important to you and work-life balance is really important, you, even though we value it at third stage, uh, other consulting firms may value it as well. The reality is I think in consulting, you're just going to work more hours than you might in a, in a quote unquote normal office job. But some, some people, some clients we work with actually work as much or more than we do. So it, it's hard to say, but um, you just have to be flexible and be willing to work hard for sure.
3: Sure. Absolutely. And then and the last one I kind of want to talk about is your your um, point number eight, which is those soft skills. And the the thing I really want to ask you is can soft skills be cultivated or is that more of a personality trait that you should already have when going into consulting?
0: Oh, it's a great question. Um, I don't know. I've, I'm, I'm mixed on that. Honestly, there, there are some people, I mean, first of all, if someone has the, the right soft skills, they've got a high emotional intelligence and they they're really good at communicating and interacting with people that obviously is a positive factor. And I'm going to want to hire that person over someone who doesn't have those skills, but maybe all things else being equal, I'm definitely going to hire the person with a, with the better soft skills. Uh, but if I find someone that is okay, you know, has some decent um, soft skills, but needs some more work in it. I, you could probably work with that. That's not as ideal as the person that already has the, the, the soft skills, but you, you usually, a lot of times it's about attitude and you can tell by the person's attitude if they're willing to learn and willing to, um change and grow and all that stuff it's the 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 hardest consultants for me to hire and to manage are the ones that have been doing this forever and they have all the answers they already know what it takes to be successful and they've got their their process their approach whatever that works and to me that's dangerous to have that mentality as a consultant the minute I decide that I know it all and I know more than my clients and I know more than other consultants in the industry that's probably the time I should bow out of consulting and go do something else in my opinion because if you're not learning and listening and growing, then you're not being a good at consulting because things are changing. Every client's different. You've got to understand the client. And if you come in with sort of the know-it-all mentality, then it's just not good. Even, even if you're right, you're alienating your client, you're alienating your peers, and it's just not good. It just doesn't, it's not productive. So yeah, those, those are some general uh, thoughts there, but I do think that the um, the soft skills are more important than the technical skills. If I have to choose a candidate that has Superior technical skills, but inferior soft skills versus superior soft skills and inferior technical skills. I'll take the latter every time, just because you can teach. It's a lot easier to your point or to your question. It's a lot easier to teach the technical skills than it is to teach the the soft skills. I can't teach someone to listen. I can't teach someone to stop talking. I can't teach someone to not be an a hole or whatever. You know, those are things I can't necessarily teach. Um, so that's that's my thought there.
3: Yeah. I think there's a a difference between teaching it and being intentional about it. And I only say that because, you know, spoiler alert, Adam and I are are married. So Adam is an extreme introvert and he really works on those soft skills when he's in a client community. And we joke about it because then when we're in social situations on the weekends, he says weird things because he's already used it, like all of his soft skills um, in the actual client conversation and environment, which he's very good at. Um, For example, it was our son's fourth birthday party this last weekend. And this very nice family was like, oh, we got him a bunch of books. And Adam goes, yeah, he's not really a big reader. And the look (laughs) on their face is like, so I looked at him like, why did you say that? Like, <laughs> he just is yeah. like, I, I just can't. F- I was traveling all week and was doing client work and, you know, all of this organizational change management, I lost all the skill set to use it in personal time. So I think for those of you that mi- that might not come as natural to you, it is something that, you you know, you can work on and have the ability to, you know, be intentional and, and ask for feedback about because I think that's a one thing Adam does really well is he always wants to know, you know, how he can improve.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, and and I think um, the introvert extrovert conversation is worth maybe just building on real quickly. But the, you know, I'm an introvert as well, um, and I, it's hard for me. And it, early in my career, is really hard for me to overcome that or to to bring out the extroverted side of me. And it's still hard for me, and I'm still drained at the end of the day, and I still say weird random things like Adam did you? I'll say to my wife or kids or whatever or th- those around me because I've used up all my emotional uh, energy <laughs> dealing with clients or traveling or whatever. Um, so for me, it's you know it, it's hard. So I think if you're an introvert, you sh- I'm not saying don't be a consultant because I'm an introvert and I love it and I think I'm pretty good at it, um, despite the fact that I'm an introvert. But I think you do have to work harder as an as an introvert to to work outside your shell and to be collaborative and to interact well with clients and sort of be on from a from a uh, social you know communication perspective. So it is something worth noting. I think extroverts in general might have an easier time adjusting to consulting because of the fast pace and the constant communication and things like that. For, for us introverts, it can be a little more draining at times.
3: Absolutely. Well, all great advice here. And I know you share some of your resources in the video and then also on the blog page as well, um, which are helpful in just kind of checking out to see if consulting is right for you. Um, So you can head to our website and check those out. Also downloading our uh, 2023 digital transformation report, has a wealth of kind of knowledge and and, um, look into what we actually do for our clients. Um, so if that's of interest for you, we always love to hear your feedback. You can email me directly at kyler.cheatham at thirdstage-consulting.com. I always love to hear from all of you. You give me such great um, advice on, on um, things we should be talking about. Um, and then also, if you are interested in working with Third Stage, you can email us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. But thank you, Eric, and thank you to our panelists for kind of sharing your insight. Um, I know it's, I learned a lot, even as a you know a consultant on the third stage team and uh, definitely great to hear from your overall experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Having the panel is good. I learned a lot from that conversation as well, and uh, hopefully it helped the audience here. And, um, you know, it, just to reiterate your point, Kyler, if you are interested in working for third stage, we'd love to hear for you, from you. So uh, please feel free to reach out. We're growing uh, aggressively throughout the world in, in all four offices, but especially here in the U.S., we're growing very quickly in North America, but we've got team members in Europe, uh, Africa, and Asia Pacific as well. So if you're in any of those regions as well, we'd love to hear from you. So be sure to, to reach out. So thank you, everyone, for being here this week. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Kyler, for another great episode. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next Wednesday, every Wednesday, new episodes on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. Be sure to join us again next week for episode number 108. So Hope you all have a great week. In the meantime, we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Hello, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm, whoa. Uh, Gosh, I feel like I'm filming.
3: (laughs) Has chat GB or chat P. (laughs) I Uh told Eric before this (laughs) episode, I practiced saying it like four times. I knew this would happen. I wrote it down so I can read it off my notes. Um, Chat GPT.